Hello and welcome to Today in STEM as we discuss what's new in the realms of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, all combined to make your world a better place. I'm your host, Wes Sumner. This new program gives you an inside look at all things STEM, hearing from experts, and relating their knowledge to our everyday lives. We're pleased to have as our very special guest today, Dr. Darby Proctor, an associate professor at the Florida Institute of Technology. And Darby focuses on non-human primates and their behaviors. Welcome, Dr. Proctor. Thank you. It's good to be here. Great to have you. Help us understand about your work on a very interesting area with spider monkeys and how spider monkey behavior, studying their lives and how they operate, can help us with humans. So my first question has to be, are spider monkeys very much like people and how we communicate in a community? Yeah, so spider monkeys are a really fascinating species of primate to study because they actually share the same social structure that we have, uh, which is also the same social structure that chimpanzees have. They form a fission-fusion society, which means that they have a large social group, but for days or weeks at a time, they break up into these subgroups. So they don't see their groupmates every day, just like we don't. And so they have to manage their social relationships across space and time, which implies that they have some quite sophisticated cognitive abilities. And so we here at Florida Tech, in collaboration with Brevard Zoo, are getting the opportunity to really delve into the mind of the spider monkey, which isn't which hasn't been done very thoroughly before. Excellent. And as you look at non-human primate decision-making is, is what you call it, what are some of the facets of that as you explore it with your research subjects? Yeah, so I'm interested in, in decision-making, particularly in a social context. So what that means is I'm interested in how being around other individuals changes your social decision-making. So obviously if we're in front of a group, we're speaking in front of uh, the public, we change our behavior versus if we're just by ourselves. And so I like to study that in non-human primates. So one of the things that I've worked on uh, fairly recently is is a gambling task. Yeah, I've recently done a, a, a gambling study with chimpanzees, and we found that when chimpanzees were in front of others, they tended to gamble a little bit more, suggesting that they were trying to show off to each other and show how good they were at this sort of gambling task, even though it was, you know, completely up to chance. Okay. So, so we're seeing primate behavior very much mirror human behavior then in that regard. Absolutely. Interesting. Specifically studying uh, primates, spider monkeys, others in these contexts, how does it help us better understand human behavior? Yeah. So, you know, there are plenty of psychologists. I'm a psychologist, but I'm a comparative psychologist, which means I study the minds of other species to compare them to human minds. Most psychologists study humans. We can get a lot of great information about humans by studying humans. But the reason I study the non-human primates is so that we can look to our evolutionary history and figure out how we became the species that we are today. And so when we look in the non-human primates, we can figure out when in our sort of evolutionary history we develop certain traits and behaviors. And that can help us understand why we evolved to have those certain traits and behaviors. And that knowledge over an evolutionary type of period gives greater understanding to the entire area. Absolutely, because we do some things that look irrational, like gambling. But if we think about the evolutionary context of taking risks in social relationships, it might be really worth it to gamble on another social relationship, even if you didn't have a great experience the first time. And so it might be worth it 
to gamble in the, some of these contexts, and it just looks irrational in our modern sort of society. So implying that there's a risk-reward analysis that's going on on, Ab- on that front. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So they're doing some sort of math in their head to figure out uh, when it's worth it to take these risks and when it isn't. Well, what would you say then has been the biggest surprise uh, in your study, particularly of the spider monkeys and their behaviors? Yeah, so spider monkeys are, are really great. And one thing that happened uh, recently that was really interesting, uh, it's a little bit of an unfortunate story, but it ends well. Last year, there was a infant spider monkey who was confiscated at the Texas-Mexico border in Customs and Border Protection, obviously found him and needed a home for him. And they brought him to Brevard Zoo, where we had a spider monkey mom named Shelly, who had an infant daughter who was about the same age as this young spider monkey male, uh, who we've named Mateo. And we were hoping that Mateo would be adopted by Shelly. But Shelly is a really good mom, so she wouldn't let her daughter anywhere near this stranger monkey. So all of our plans were blown out of the water. But what happened was even better than anything we imagined. When we introduced Mateo to the rest of the monkeys, he became really, really close with the alpha male shooter. And that was really surprising because in the wild, males use infanticide as a strategy. So they will sometimes kill offspring so that their their mothers come into estrus sooner and so that they can mate with them, have their own offspring. And what was so striking is when Shooter and Mateo got together, Shooter would sit just far enough away from Mateo that he wouldn't run away. He just held his hand out and waited for Mateo to come to him. And for all intensive purposes, Shooter has adopted Mateo. So he really got adopted by the alpha male, and males in spider monkeys are dominant to females. And so he got the best possible adopted parent that he could have gotten. Shooter makes sure Mateo is with the group. He sleeps with him at night. Uh, They cuddle during the day. And to see that relationship develop has been really special in terms of what we expect these animals to do and what they actually do that, that surprises us. What an interesting idea and, and something, as you point out, that was that was unexpected and fascinating from the perspective of what it can teach us, right? Exactly. And, and how this adult male monkey made this decision to adopt this, this, this little stranger monkey. I mean, he even lets Mateo eat right next to him when he won't let his own offspring do that. Mm. And so what is going on in their minds that's making them able to do that? And one possibility is that since... Spider monkeys in the wild, males stay in their natal group or the group that they're born into, that males have more, form more close relationships with other males than they do with females or that females form with each other. And so it could be that Shooter, you know, having this behavioral ecology in mind, could have suspected that this would have been a related monkey to him. And so it, it could possibly be something like kin selection that's making him you know, invest his parental resources into this young infant. Fascinating. And so those familial ties are strong, but even when they don't necessarily biologically exist, they can be made to exist in other ways. Absolutely. And in some of our preliminary observational data, we're seeing that Mateo and Shooter spend more time together than Olive and Shelley, who's a mother-daughter pair uh, and of about the same age. Tremendous. It goes to show how with the alpha uh, demonstrating connection, then there was acceptance of the social group. That's fascinating stuff. Well, what do you hope that your future research will be able to to tell us? So there's so much to be done with spider monkeys in particular. Spider monkeys, again, share this similar social structure that we have, that chimpanzees have. But there hasn't been a whole lot of research into their cognitive abilities. So what they're actually capable of in terms of 
processing the information they get to from the environment and then acting based on that information. So one of the things that we're looking at right now, um, spider monkeys are a little bit weird for the primates because primates, hallmark of primates is that they have thumbs. We have thumbs, chimpanzees have thumbs. Pretty much all the primates have thumbs, except spider monkeys. They lost their thumbs in evolutionary history, uh, which means that their hands are very well adapted to swinging from the trees, but not so well adapted at manipulating finer, finer objects. But they do have what's called a prehensile tail. That means they can move their tail and grasp things with it. They can grasp objects that are probably a centimeter in diameter with that tail. And so one of the things that I'm looking at now is whether they're using that tail as a replacement thumb. And, and that's very interesting because in the brain, you know, our brains are lateralized. Our right side of our brain controls the left side of our body, but the tail is in the midline of the body. And so we want to explore ta- what we're calling tail cognition to see what all they can do with these tails. Do they, can they do things that we can do with our hands? So if we have a box that has objects in it, we can reach in with our hand and identify what those objects are. We want to see if spider monkeys can do the same thing, but with their tails. The tail will tell the tail. That's <laughs> great stuff. But uh, in all seriousness, we're going to have to have you come back and, and tell us more about uh, about your work. It's so fascinating and the, the opportunity for it to tell us more about how we behave as humans. I want to thank you. Dr. Darby Proctor has been our guest, associate professor at the Florida Institute of Technology, and her work with non-human primate decision-making. Thank you, Dr. Proctor. You're welcome. Thanks. That's going to do it for this edition of Today in STEM. We hope you'll join us next time. Until then, I'm Wes Sumner. Today in STEM is brought to you by the Florida Institute of Technology and WFIT. More information available at WFIT dot org.